Asia Tech Podcast with Graham Brown and Michael Waits. Look, this is Michael Waits from Asia Tech Podcast Stories, and I'm talking to Sanara Kariapa, who's the founder of the Ultimate Toolkit. I cannot believe, mm-hmm. actually, hello, by the way, I cannot believe that that, that that name was not already taken. I know. I, I did um, hesitate um, for a second. Um, but there is actually um, a website called the Ultimate Toolkit, and it's a really boring sales um, toolkit, and it's got you know, it's one of those you know nineties with the uh, you know a, a middle aged man standing uh, with <laughs> holding the toolkit in his hand, saying, "This is why you should buy um, buy this book." Uh, so yeah, um, so I, I I do get that a lot. I have a um, few customers going to the wrong website and saying, "When did you change to a middle-aged man?" <laughs> I was gonna say, there's nothing worse <laughs> that there's nothing worse than a middle-aged man as your logo or as your like, yeah, mascot. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. I yeah. can't I can't tell if I'm laughing because that's really funny or it's just really late. But either way, it's really. Good. <laughs> Or is the beer? Maybe. It's not. The, I don't drink, so it can't be the beer. You know what I mean? Ah, uh, okay. <laughs> but don't feel like you have to apologize. Mm. Um, so wh- what is like what what is the ultimate toolkit? And that, that's not the only thing that there is about you. That's just the first thing that kind of pops up, I guess, that everybody wants to know about. But what exactly is it, and like okay. how does it work, um, and how does it fit into everything else that you do? Because you do do a bunch of things, right? Right. Absolutely. Um, so the ultimate toolkit um, is basically um, a toolkit that um, you know helps you conduct um, design thinking workshops on uh, social issues. Um, so the first issue I focused on is gender sensitization, um, and so what this toolkit does is um, take you through the exercises and the entire workshop. So it's it's meant to be a DIY toolkit. Um, I do get questioned a lot um, to say, you know, why have you uh, named it the ultimate? It feels a bit final. Um, but, you know, it's um, I did Google the, the term ultimate because I, I got a lot of questions. Uh, but, you know, it, it is the best possible solution uh, for a problem. And in this case, um, it's um, design thinking. Um, so that that's that's my analogy behind behind that. Yeah, I mean, in my mind, ultimate in this case never seemed to me to mean end. It just meant the best. Yeah, absolutely. No. Yeah. And no, you, yeah, absolutely. I am I am not disagreeing with that. Um, <laughs> but yeah. And can you tell me what design thinking is in your mind? Um, so design thinking is um, you know just a mindset that allows you to use um, a human centered approach to a problem um, so it's it's from a user's perspective um, so you focus deeply on solutions um, empathizing with the user and that's just what it is it's as simple as that uh, how do you empathize with your user okay and can you tell me why you chose your first topic because this is something that's really close to me and I just want to find out why okay. there's so much um, more to talk about on this topic but I want to find out why you went there first absolutely um, so, um, I've always, you know, being from India, I'm not new to this um, issue and, you know, you hear it so often that somewhere you desensitize yourself as well. Right. Um, but it was only when I was doing my master's in Hong Kong that one of my professors uh, suggested I look into this issue of, um, uh, you know, sexual harassment, 
uh, gender inequality and um, try and use design to solve it. Um, and, you know, the, my first reaction was, uh, really, Hong Kong? I, I really wouldn't think this, this exists here. But I did start researching and, you know, interviewed a few professors and friends and realized um, the problem was very much existing in workplaces especially, but uh, people weren't talking about it. Um, and so it's, it started from there. And as I uh, continued my research, the numbers were there. You know, one in five women in Hong Kong, one in three women in Japan, two in three women in UK. It's, it's more two in ten men in, in Australia. Um, so it's, it's definitely a, a global issue. Um, and I wanted to um, do something different for it. So can you tell me a little bit about how your first cut at this, how the Ultimate Toolkit attempts mm-hmm. to sort of do a DIY to solve is a really tricky word in my mind for this type of problem, right? It's just to right. help to help sort of disintermediate it. I don't even know what the right thing to say is. Absolutely. But, but how does that work? Um, so um, I'll, I'll start with the, the two problems here. So the first problem, of course, being the actual issue of um, gender uh, harassment and gender inequality. But the second being uh, the services that are existing to um, tackle this problem. And I realized that they were really, really crappy. Um, you know, globally, very few organizations provide gender sensitization training. And if it's done, it's mostly in-house through a really boring presentation, which is a one-sided conversation, um, or it's on the internet through a boring video or an animation or e-module. I'm, I'm sure you've, you may have experienced that at some point. I have. Uh, but, um, you know, at the end of the day, your, your employees are not going back with any learning. They're not going back with any empathy. And this was my, this was where the idea came up. Um, I, I'm trying to disrupt this model and make it a really interactive workshop to get, um, to not, to not make it a one-sided conversation, to get everyone in the organization involved. Right. But so this is a, I think one of the biggest words you're using here is empathy. It's really, Absolutely. it's really important actually. So how do you get somebody to empathize with somebody else? Um, so how that can happen is through usually interviewing or uh, being in the person's shoes, um, empathizing through their journey, as you may say. And so that's exactly what I've done in this toolkit. I take them through a journey of harassment. So right from, um, you know, where it's happening, who is, um, who is the harasser? What are the problems that the victim's facing? Who's the victim? I take them through different scenarios um, and get them to, you know, open quotes here, empathize. Um, and once they do that, they come out really understanding the problem and then are mo- more able to say, okay, this is what needs to change with, uh, with this framework or this is what needs to change with our policy. And how do you measure your effectiveness? Um, so it's, this is a bit tricky, um, because, um, uh, it gets a bit, uh, political when you go into companies. Um, sure, to very, I could imagine very. Very, absolutely. Yeah. It's right from the beginning to hmm. the end. Um, so in, you know, the HR would obviously have their own, um, um, conditions. So it's, it's very, it's very, um, tricky to, um, to measure the success of this. But if, if, you know, I come away from the workshop getting uh, really good feedback 
um, from the participants. Um, that's 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 great for me. Uh, for example, um, there was a workshop I conducted recently with the design studio, um, and right. you know, at the end of the workshop, um, they are supposed to come up and brainstorm with solutions. And so, uh, one of you know, and then they can be crazy solutions because that's how design thinking works. You focus on um, brainstorming ideas, and they can be as crazy as you want it to be. Um, and so, one of the ideas was. Uh, you know, we should have a, a code word in our office like zucchini, something that only our team knows. And so if, you know, something's happening or we see something that we don't like, we can just say zucchini and, you know, the other person would find out. Right. Um, and I found out a week later that they had actually used this word in a real life situation when they were at a meeting. And, um, you know, one of the girls' buttons had um, opened or um, something like that, and um, uh, you know, the, her teammate said zucchini, and so she looked around and realized what had happened, and and that's that's uh, you know in its own way a really really nice um, delightful um, way to measure um, the success of this workshop. Right, fair enough. You can actually see it yeah. in practice. But is it interesting? And again, I may say the wrong thing, but just tell me where I'm wrong. It seems mm-hmm. to me like if you're looking at the workplace, mm-hmm. so. External recruiters tend to be men, mm-hmm. right? So executive right. recruiters tend to be men, pre- predominantly, not always, but predominantly, right? Mm-hmm. And yet mm-hmm. human resources departments internally tend to be staffed by women, right? it seems to me. So for you, you have this challenge of, you know, when someone gets hired, right? Right, they're hired from by a man and men tend to generally sort of default to hiring other men. And yet when right. they get service from internal, that service generally comes from female employees. And, and I'm right. generalizing, right, to make a point, but I think the point is valid. So it's interesting to me that, like, you're playing against this dichotomy of when the mm-hmm. person gets hired, they, they get hired kind of into one environment, and then they get handled by someone in another environment. I, I just think that, mm-hmm. you know, sexual harassment seems to be and so, mm-hmm. and gender inequality, clearly, I think I'm stating the obvious, tends to be a uniquely female problem, right? And while there are men that have this problem, like you said, two out of ten in Australia, that's a problem, right? 20% right. is is 20% too many. Absolutely. For, for sure. But if it's yeah. two out of three in the UK of women that have a sexual harassment problem, that's like 66.666%. That's, you know, three times higher. It's just way too, way too many. Right, absolutely. Right. Um, you know, let's let's keep one thing in mind, which is um, um, there are women who are coming out with with um, um, these instances, and and not men. So there are probably a whole whole uh, demographic of uh, of men that we haven't counted in because they're not um, um, coming out with their problems. You know, when I when I've done these workshops. Uh, you won't believe that most often men say that they've been bullied in their childhood or they've been harassed um, in their childhood um, more than uh, more than women. So um, it's it's definitely I think it's definitely changing the scope and the the landscape of how we see this is um, I think changing for the good. Yeah. Um, where women and men are both sharing um, the space of. Um, being harassed. Yeah, look, I think it's a fair statement to say that men are probably more harassed when they are younger. Absolutely, yeah. But I think the kind, and again, it's just me, right, but I think the kind of harassment that a woman faces, particularly in the workplace, is just really unique in the way it encompasses, you know, 
power um, dynamics, um, yeah. hiring mechanisms, promotion oh, yeah. mechanisms. Absolutely. And I think in that sense, mo- it, that's more of a female issue. I don't want to say problem because it's not a female problem. It's more a male right. problem. But still, I think yeah. it, it's more perpetrated on women than it is on men, to be fair. No, absolutely. It, it, I mean, it's a it's a very deep rooted issue. If you look at it, it's it's been happening for decades, um, you know. And uh, for now, um, you know, a man to lose his job because of a woman, which which we've seen recently, is is amazing. And um, I'm sorry to say for the man, but yeah, I mean, this wouldn't have happened a decade ago. No, no. Look, that's so, in my mind, that's a good thing, not a bad thing. Right? Absolutely, absolutely. Um, so yeah, I mean, I do agree what you say. It's it's a very deep rooted. Um, issue of how uh, women uh, are seen different uh, differently to men, um, but I'm, I'm hoping this would this would definitely change. So, look, this is very topical for me in the context mm-hmm. of the startup world, particularly in the tech startup world, and particularly in the venture capital tech startup world. Right, and I don't know mm-hmm. if you feel comfortable giving your opinion on this, but frankly, doing what you're doing, this should be like right in your wheelhouse, right? Right. So I can't remember if it's a month ago now or two months ago, but the founder and the head of 500 Startups, a guy named Dave McClure, you know, Absolutely. followed in the footsteps of a couple of other VCs that had been, um, what's the right it's word? Like, you know, accused and outed of, you know, sexual harassment in a right. way that was, that really impacted the business, right? You know, right. I think if a man or if a woman walks up to um, someone of the opposite sex or someone of the attractive sex, whatever your um, biases may be, mm-hmm. um, if they walk up to somebody in a social environment where the, the, the rules are kind of known, like you're in a bar or whatever, there are mm-hmm. some rules that people know. And I'm not going like, to make a value judgment about what those rules are. Um, right. But you also know what the rules are in, in, in the workplace. And I think those right. rules are pretty well defined. Yeah. Um, I'm just curious as to your opinion of what happened there, you know, whether it's okay for someone just to publish sort of a glib apology mm-hmm. letter and say, ah, I was being, and excuse my language, please, but, you know, I was being a little bit of an ass and a little bit of a dick, but maybe I shouldn't have done that, but, mm-hmm, you yeah. know, that kind of apology to me doesn't seem to carry much weight. Uh, and right. I'm just curious as to your opinion, and maybe in your circles, you have had conversations with other men and women who said to you, that's ah, fine, or oh my God, that's insane. I'm just curious right. what the feedback is that you've been getting and what your opinion is on that. Right, absolutely. I, I completely agree with what you said. There's, there's definitely a gray line as to what's access, acceptable and what's not. And it goes down to, you know, different, uh, different reasons, upbringing, there's um, education, there's um, um, interaction with the opposite sex over over the years, um, and also you know respect for the opposite sex. So there there are many factors that do if, do um, play in, um, but you know you have to be mindful that in a company where you're working um, side by side with women, you have to be extra careful as to what you say around people, and I think that kind of just disappears for some people for some men and that is what the problem is so definitely not an apology letter is not going to cut it i don't think so i don't think so either look there is a concept that circulates that the world is becoming too politically correct mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> right you chuckled so i i have a view on this as well and i feel like i don't think being 
even being polite has anything to do with political correctness. And I think your parents teach you when you're a two-year-old or a three-year-old that there's a time and a place for most right. things. I wouldn't even say for everything. And there's mm -hmm. no time and no place for some things. Mm -hmm. And I don't think right. it has anything to do with political correctness. But I'm curious right. if you go through this in your DIY kit mm -hmm. and just kind of run through some of these scenarios. So I wanted to talk a little bit about scenarios as well because you reminded me of two things that, 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 um, that I've seen in the past. Right. So one was a undercover policeman from Newark, New Jersey or Trenton. I can't remember where. And his name was David Toma. And David mm -hmm. used to do a program for sort of underserved youth, right, and underprivileged youth, mm -hmm. and he called that program Scared Straight. Mm -hmm. So he would say to them, if you want to live a life of crime, that's fine, but just come with mm -hmm. me for a week into jail mm -hmm. and let me scare you into yeah. becoming not a criminal but into becoming like straight, not meaning straight in a, you know, in a sexual way, but just straight like someone who doesn't commit crimes, yeah? Right. And that was, sounds like kind of what you're saying, right? You just put, you do role playing, right? And you should kind of show people in real time what it feels like to be harassed. Right. Right. And the second, just trying to remember, the second was, so a couple of guys did an experiment, mm -hmm. I believe, and I'm just remembering, you know, I'm doing this from memory. But what mm -hmm. they did was in a mall or in a, a few malls, what they would do is they'd ride up the escalator and if a man had his hand on the other side of the escalator, they'd just sort of caress his hand as it went by. Right. I've, I think I've seen this one. I'm sure you yeah. have. Right. Yeah. So this is a this is a great way to show like just how infuriating it is. It is, absolutely. Right? Yeah. For someone yeah. to approach you either physically or emotionally in a way that makes you really uncomfortable. Right. So I'm, right. just curious, I, I, what, I'm just curious what types of things you do in that DIY kit. If you can explain it in slightly more detail without giving away the secrets, right? I'm just curious how that works. Right. Um, so, um, yeah, there are great examples that you just use. Um, it's it's definitely, that's exactly what empathy is. So you put yourself in, um, um, you know, the victim's position. Um, and so these scenarios that I'm building are um, around, mainly around the um, harassers. Um, so, you know, you have different profiles of harassers, like um, someone who uses his position as um, um, a power position, um, you know, someone who who is a guardian but actually has uh, wrong intentions, um, you know, a mother-father figure, you may say. Uh, so, you know, right. there are these different sort of um, uh, personas of harassers that I map out. And I ask the participants to... Um, visualize that if you were the harasser, uh, what are the types of um, victims you would target? Where, what locations would you target them at and how would you target them? And so this takes them through a journey of saying, okay, it would definitely be an intern that's, um, you know, harassed by uh, someone like a boss. Or where would this happen? It would happen in his office. It could happen at an offsite, on the plane maybe when they're on, on a flight. So these are like little, little details that they, they are supposed to um, look through. Um, and that's that's basically how it, how it takes place. But once they go through a pattern, um, I get them to then move to the next phase, which is um, coming up with solutions. And have you, so do you learn things as well when you go through this process? I'm curious as to what types of solutions people come up with for these problems. 
Yeah. Um, so um, definitely, I think each workshop is definitely a great learning experience. It tells you, um, you know, what their expectations are, um, what they hope to learn out of this, but also, you know, where's their level of understanding in terms of, um, um, you know, harassment or gender bias? What, what do they understand when we say that? Uh, a lot of people say, oh, is, is pinching harassment? Um, is is staring at someone harassment is showing pornography harassment, you know. So these are blurred yeah, y- lines, yes. you may say. Uh, and and my workshop really helps to kind of define those lines. Um, so you know, there's um, they, they can differentiate between flirting, say, and um, um, insisting on a date. Um, so um, so definitely, there there's some very very cool ideas that come out. Um, some of the ideas have been, um, you know, let's have a secret box in our office. Um, so if someone is um, uncomfortable or feeling something, they could go in anonymously, uh, put in something, and we need to review um, those um, those um, um, comments every every week or every month. Um, so I think, yeah, yeah, there there are some ideas like this that come out, um, which I always, in you know coax them to see through or uh, kind of um, take into reality. Right. I mean, you've you've really chosen a polarizing topic for your first addition to the toolkit. Thank you. No, you have. I mean, and good for you, actually, for tackling something that it's kind of intractable in a way, right? I mean, it's never actually going to go away. It's been around forever, but the more work we do on it, you know, yeah. I, I always like to say, like, nothing good happens in the dark, right? Yeah. And just giving something, shining a light on something in and of itself is a, right. pos- is a positive result. So good for you no, for absolutely. doing that. Uh, you know, I mean, uh, I've, I truly believe in the um, design can solve anything attitude um, uh, that needs to be adopted. We, you know, we live in a generation where, which no longer responds to traditional systems or presentations or, or sermons. Um, and instead, you know, there is a need of interaction and design um, in the various societal sectors, and that's where um, this comes from. I think that's a really interesting concept, actually. So, just this whole no- this whole notion, right, that people no longer react to the traditional ways of mm-hmm. being told like what's right and wrong. I mean, because if you're really focusing on, you know, collaboration between individuals, right, and right. social change, which is really right. what the ultimate toolkit's all about, if that's Absolutely. the case. It, it actually may mean that using design thinking is the best way or maybe the only way to solve some of these social issues. Yeah, you could definitely say that. Um, I'm definitely biased towards it, so I would say yes. Um, but I'm, I'm keen to know what other ways are there. Um, you know, the end goal being um, solving um, challenges. But what are, what, are, what are some of the other social issues that are important to you? And then how do you expect to affect social change with them as well? In other words, are you starting to build other toolkits? Right. Um, that's a really good question. Um, so um, the, the idea for me was to have uh, different volumes of the Ultimate Toolkit. Um, so this was our first volume. Um, and uh, what I envision is that um, we take this issue to a younger audience so there would be schools and colleges um this is the, i think this issue starts from a very young age um and and not just you know harassment there's bullying 
as well. Uh, so I think those those issues would um, be the next volumes. Um, and I want to focus on gender as of now, um, because I think this is a very deep-rooted issue. Um, there's a lot to be done um, uh, with different audiences as well. Um, so that, that's it for now. Yeah, I mean, look, it's super topical, right? I guess the yeah. one uh, another question for me is, where mm-hmm. are you focusing on a certain geographical location? Just because you are running a business, in the end, you are hoping to build this into something that people pay for. I'm presuming, yes. Right. Absolutely. So, how does that work? In other words, how do you how do you monetize this, and how do you make money? I mean, it's a weird question to ask in the context of what you're doing, but still. You know, you, it takes resources to do it, and to continue to do it, you're going to have to get paid, right? So, how do you how do you do that? What's the business yeah, model? Absolutely. Um, so, um, we are running on uh, two, uh, three kinds of business models, actually. Um, so, one is, of course, we conduct workshops for companies, um, and they would pay us for doing that. Um, but there's also a, by selling the toolkit um, online or physically, uh, so that they can conduct it themselves. But um, there's also a train-the-trainer program that we're going to start with. Um, so, you know, there's a lot of um, HR that comes to us which um, who don't want to uh, take the entire workshop and always want to customize it. Um, right. And, and, sorry? I said correct. Right. So, um, and, and this comes again, you know, in terms of their policy and their legal framework and how, how much can they protect their employees and how much are they promising and, and not. So um, so I do understand that's definitely a need that's been um, uh, very, very, um, uh, that's come out to me and I want to, um, you know, take that into consideration as well. Um, so there, yeah, these are the three uh, basic revenue models. Uh, but, you know, having said that, it's um, it's definitely not easy selling something like this um, because, you know, the toolkit is a novel product. Um, there is no similar product. There are there are similar uh, products doing uh, design thinking toolkits, um, you know, solving other issues and helping you, um, helping you take through other uh, problems. But um, in terms of gender sensitization, um, I haven't come across any other products. So there definitely is a bit of... Um, convincing that goes on before um, we can, you know, get a contract how, ready. How, how big is your team, if you don't mind me uh, asking? So, uh, so we're three members um, in my team. We're, we're quite small. Yeah. Um, yeah, and uh, as of now, you know, we've been targeting uh, co-working spaces in Hong Kong. That's a great way of getting a lot of organizations involved um, in one sitting. Um, but also, um, um, you know, conducting mixed workshops. So in terms of getting, you know, a one company to do a workshop, it's I've realized that it's very seasonal. They only have one time in the year where they, they, they would do this. Um, and in those times, they would have a contract with an e-module or a web-based modules. Um, so in, that comes down to scalability as well. Right. Um, so... Um, so yeah, there, there's definitely been quite a few learning um, milestones for me where you know maybe going online would be the next step, um, you know, so as to reach these companies who have more than thousand employees. Um, 
but you know it, whilst retaining the interactive factor um so yeah that's that's what's in the pipeline i ha- i have an idea for you <laughs> what's that i think you should do a podcast about this really but i think you should do it on a regular basis not just we not just like every now and then right i know you go out and you yeah. talk to people about it but what you really okay. should do is you should you should be me you should moderate and you should get a conversation going with people not just locally or regionally but globally right and have them talk to you about um issues solutions ideas um, right events that are happening globally because this yeah. is a way to make yourself besides being able to have an incredible amount of social impact and social change impact it also mm-hmm. sets you apart as an expert and someone who's just committed to getting something done in a particular space and i th- i found that to be really powerful yeah. here's another yeah. thought that i have as well and this is maybe something that you do include in the toolkit or maybe yeah. you don't but maybe you could think about doing it and I, I don't know you know i'm not always right i'm i'm generally wrong but <laughs> but i think in an age right now like where you say where most people are not reacting to the traditional way of, like you said, being sermoned or preached to or told what's right and wrong. Yeah. I also think you're seeing a sea change and a secular change in the way people work and the types yeah. of companies in which they work. What does that mean? I think what it means is that more and more people are going to move from working out of a large corporation that has a really sort of well-embedded human resources style infrastructure where they yeah. can run programs like this to small companies like yours and like mine. And yeah. I think one of the best things you can do is you can build in and I'll say gender diversity, but what I really mean is diversity writ large. I think you build it into your company from day one. So if you're going to look for a business partner, you just look for the best business partner, right? And if right. if you know, if, if you're starting if you're a woman and you're starting this with your friend and mm-hmm. she happens to be a woman, good stuff. If your friend happens to be a man, then that's fine as well. But every right. time you go to hire somebody for a new position, right. I think you owe it to yourself. And, I, and this is not just talk, me talking to you. This is me talking to anybody that's listening. I think you owe it to yourself to build in diversity from day one because I don't that's think it's something that can be bolted on later. Yep, absolutely. Um, in fact, um, you know, one of the key things that we focus on is um, helping companies make their own policies. Um, a lot of startups and medium-sized companies don't have one and, and, you know, don't see the importance of having one. And what we say is that, um, you know, with this ever-changing uh, scope and landscape of, of teams and work cultures, it's important to get your employees involved in this policy-making process. Why are HR and lawyers in charge of this? Um, get the, get your employees to tell you what's okay and what's not okay in the workplace. Right. I mean, um, you, you've just made a killer point, by the way. Yeah. So <laughs> please go ahead. I interrupt. But I just wanted to be say, be explicit about that. Like, that is so important. Absolutely. Uh, absolutely. And But, you know, again, it's I don't know if we've, we've reached that point as yet um, where um, startups will see the importance of this. It's only, you know, when they move past, um, you know, their manufacturing uh, nightmares and they're pitching and investing and then and then they start thinking of the team uh, but you know thinking of your team should be from day one and um, that is something that definitely needs to change right um, I mean look I have a non-standard view of what's happened at Uber and remember I know nothing about it I don't know any of the principles I'm sure you've heard of Uber as a company right absolutely yes yeah. so 
you know, people talk about, people ask questions like, why didn't they have, you know, an infrastructure inside their human resources department to be able to handle gender issues? And my feeling on this is that, sure, they should have. And that's, without a question, they should have. But the Mm -hmm. fact, the reality is that most startups are more concerned with just hiring. And for a company that's growing as fast as Uber, they're just concerned mm-hmm. about hiring. I need 15 more people. I need some people in okay. Germany. I need some people in South Africa. I need some people in yes. whatever it is, higher, yes. higher, higher. Very true. Yeah. And it's not an excuse, right? I don't make excuses. So I just want to point out some facts, right? And again, I'm not an investor. I don't have any inside information. And I kind of don't care about that company in particular. I'm just saying it's a good way of making an example and saying if you're going to build a company and you want to build it for super growth, Make yeah. sure you build in that diversity at the beginning because it's impossible to bolt it on later. That's kind of the only point I wanted to make. Very true. Very true. I completely agree with that. Um, so, you know, I I'm, I'm really want to make sure that we continue to follow up with you and to find out what other toolkits you build, particularly in this space. So I'm hoping that this won't be the last time that we talk to each other. I'm sure. I hope not, yeah. Yeah, I'm sure that you'll Definitely. be on other podcasts as well, but uh, I'm hoping that you'll come back here <laughs> yeah. and just continue to talk with us so we can, you know, again, just give you the necessary platform and exposure to be able to continue to talk about these issues particularly as it relates to startups and, you know, overall diversity, but also gender diversity, because it's something that's really close to me and I think is really important. So, no, definitely. Thank you so much um, for this. And, um, you know, I really enjoyed myself chatting with you. I hope so. So I just want to thank you, Sunera Karyapa, the founder of the Ultimate Toolkit, doing, you know, working with design thinking, using design thinking, to um, impact and affect social change. I think it's really important. Anyway, thank you so much for your time. Thanks, Michael. Thanks a lot. Cheers. You've been listening to Asia Tech Podcast. Find out more at www.asiatechpodcast.com.